give you some other information before we call David back to the mic. Uh, you'll be interested to know, that, and there's some of your sheets on the table, that next week is agricultural innovation. What are the motivating factors? And uh, David Hill is going from the University of Lethbridge is going to be the presenter with Bobby Cullum as the uh, moderator. So keep keep in mind about that, and you can check it on the website. Uh, and if you have any, if you want to check anything else, go to www.sacpa.ca and uh, and see what we've had before. There's also, as you may know. Uh, suggestion box outside the door here. Uh, and the other thing is, you probably saw that our dear Annalise is back uh, from her trip away. And she's she needs matchsticks to keep her eyelids up because she's doing jet lag. Uh, but she's also very open to people renewing your membership or taking a new membership so that there's money for us to pay her. So keep that in mind uh, and check with her about your memberships and uh, paying some. Uh, and you can pay more than, than some if you want. Okay, so we're going to, the, the, the mic is there. and We're going to have you come forward for questions. I'm going to be quite uh, rigid about one question per person because there's a lot of people here that will have questions. Uh, no pontificating uh, ahead of time. Uh, and just briefly give a little bit and then ask your question, and uh, I'll invite uh, Dr. David Swan back to the mic now. Thank you. Well, there's a lot of buzz out there over lunch. I'm sure you weren't just shooting the breeze. So this is a chance to have some interaction. I, I love to have interaction with people around the issues they care about. That's why I got into politics, to understand where people are at, what it is we need to create a better province, and what suggestions you're willing to fight for. Uh, because this isn't about, uh, as Lorraine and I used to feel in our medical practices, doctor, I've got this condition, fix me. No, this is about what we're gonna do together to make a better province, and in this case, a better health system, more specifically, a better mental health and addictions system. So we have a traveling microphone, or, or not traveling so much as a static microphone, and I'm willing to reflect back and forth with you for a bit on what you think are the most important issues for us to discuss. We can talk all day about problems in the system. I prefer to talk about solutions, and, uh, and that's what I started to get at in the last part of my discussion with you is, uh, how do we get into more early intervention? How do we ensure that people with the lack of resources get the resources to live? How do we ensure that professionals communicate better between themselves? Uh, how do we make sure that the people at the top start to get along better between Alberta Health and Alberta Health Services? Because we all suffer when they don't uh, do their jobs together. Knud. Thank you. Yeah, my name is Knut Peterson. Uh, thanks for coming, David. It is a really important issue you're talking about here. Uh, I went to a talk this morning at the university by a world-renowned neuroscience uh, professor, Brian Cope, who I'm sure you have heard of. Brian 
Brian Cope. He is a he's a legend in Latvia, anyway, but uh, I think around the world in the neuroscience business. Uh, and he specifically mentioned some of the things that I was happy that you said as well. Uh, poverty and early childhood uh, education uh, treatment is probably the most two most important parts about mental health. Could you uh, expand on that, please? Thank you, Knud. Well, it's something like 15% uh, of our population, that children go to school hungry, the families are considered to live below the low-income cutoff, uh, food balance is not good, uh, insecurity is a daily experience, uh, intermittent unemployment, low self-esteem, uh, issues around how to relieve pain and to get us sleep s often lead to overuse of alcohol or sedatives, adding to more complications uh, and less meaningful connections between people and, and less uh, direct solutions for the problem. People come in maybe to see their doctor and they smell of alcohol and the doctor immediately assumes things about them. Um, Social services goes in there, threatens to take the children away. It's a, a vicious cycle of, of compounding problems that don't serve the people, don't serve necessarily the, the province and the, the system. So absolutely critical that we start to address these issues. Maria, come on up. Um, you're MLA here for Calgary East? No, Lethbridge East. Lethbridge East. Oh, yes, this is Lethbridge. I was going to say Waterton East, but uh, Bob. Thank you for your remarks, uh, David. Uh, my name is Bob Campbell, and I worked in healthcare for a number of years. And you mentioned about the fact that 6% uh, of the healthcare dollars go towards mental health, and you mentioned 3% go towards uh, promotion and prevention uh, programs. I believe that part of the reason for that is that there's still a tremendous amount of stigma related to mental illness, addictions, poverty. And uh, it's often the uh, sort of the uh, big pink elephant in the room that we don't want to really talk about stigma. Uh, there have been anti-stigma programs off and on for 40 years that I'm aware of, and yet when I talk to people, they still seem to have this attitude that pull yourself up by your bootstraps, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That, uh, you know, somehow they think the brain is separate from the rest of their body when it comes to illness. I'd like your comments. Thank you, Bob. The stigma was one of the issues. The stigma, in my simplistic sense, is a sense of shame or guilt or blame around a mental illness or an addiction. I was reminded of that when Danielle Smith, who's now uh, a talk show host on, on Chorus Radio in Calgary. You might remember her. She was the former leader of the Wild Rose Party <laughs> before she saw the light with Jim Prentice, and they, they hoped to ride off into the sunset together, but uh, something happened on the way to the, the rodeo. <laughs> she interviewed me uh, on the radio about two months ago, and the preamble to her question said a lot about the attitudes of some folks to mental health and addictions. She said, Surely, Dr. Swan, you don't think we should be treating 
addictions with the same compassion that we, we treat mental illness. Addictive people are choosing to hurt themselves. And I took a big breath. <laughs> what to say about an attitude that is already blaming the victim? How many people would choose to destroy their lives except someone with a mental illness or in serious, serious poverty or other uh, trauma, traumatic events or pain? Yeah, I mean, these addictions are relieving pain. And if that's the only way they know to relieve pain, then it's important that we not add to their burden by blaming them, shaming them, and excluding them from appropriate services. So how do we get out of stigma? We talk about it more. Talk about it in our families, talk about it in schools, in the workplaces. Make sure that we recognize that addictions is, a, is an unfortunate, challenging mental illness that also deserves respect and appropriate investigation. Some of them have mental illness. For some of them, the addiction causes mental illness. Uh, some of them it's together and we can't separate them very well, but appropriate care is what's needed, not judgments and blame. Thank you. Thank you, David, for coming to speak to us. I appreciate your comments, very uh, recent. Our table solved most of the problems of the healthcare system, so <laughs> we've got it looked after. The one silly Give question we, pardon me, Larry Elford. The one silly question we uh, stuck on is, can, can you get a meal like this at a, lo at, a, at a local hospital or a billion dollar hospital or are they contracted out? Are they prepared in, in kitchens or brought in pre-prepared by corporations? Silly question, but thank you. Boy, that's a tough one. Um, maybe I should be asking that in the legislature. What I can say is that uh, I don't hear a lot of compliments about hospital food. Uh, I don't know about Lethbridge. Uh, I believe in... Um, four or five years ago that the Minister of the Day, I think it was Fred Horn, got so many complaints about institutional food that they decided to contract it uh, to the hospitals themselves and not have it all made centrally frozen and sent out to all the institutions in Alberta. If that's still the case, then local food is prepared. It should be somewhat improved, but I haven't heard still many comments, many positive comments about hospital food. Everett. Thank you for introducing me. <laughs> I'm Avid, uh, <clears throat> prevention, um, depression, mental health. I'd like to draw your attention to the guest speaker we had two weeks ago here who talked about white-collar crime. After his speech and discussions, I drew the conclusion that the system, which is us, we allow 1% of people to scheme off the wealth of the nation to the tune of $1 billion a week, every week. How much mental health and depression does this cause, and why don't we do something about it? That's a fair question, especially for the federal government. That's, uh, are you talking about offshore accounts for the, for the big uh, millionaires and the big corporations? Is that what you're talking about? Security commissions are provincially. Oh, you're talking about investment? Yeah, investment, uh, white-collar crimes, or investments and fraud in the marketplace. I'll bet there are people in this room that could answer that question. And I the can't. Alberta, the Alberta people do not want to have a national uh, oh, security commission. A national securities commission versus a provincial securities commission. Advantages and disadvantages both ways, and I, uh, I don't feel too strongly. I think we need to have good controls and make sure that we eliminate the crime. I don't have a, too much 
concern about whether it's a federal regulator or a provincial regulator. It seems to me that both can work if you have good people in there and they're following the rules. Ben. A little bit out of my field, but uh, thank you. Uh, my name is Van Christou. Um, I'll preface my remarks by thanking you, David, for taking the time to be here today. Uh, the size of this audience is an indicator of uh, how thankful we are to all of us are. Thank you. Um, you amongst the many things that, uh, that, we, that uh, we agreed with from your comments, uh, one that stood out for me was your reflecting on the importance of prevention. Uh, we all have heard the adage about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I think it's absolutely, cure, absolutely true and that we're letting ourselves down in not starting uh, preventive measures early on. My question is, I wonder how much effort our, our professional bodies, our American Medical Association, our, Ameri our, our, our Canadian Dental Association, or the, the Alberta Dental Association or the Medical Association, how much effort uh, and money are they spending on prevention? Well, that's a good question, Dr. Christou. I, I must say I'm profoundly disappointed in our professional associations across the board. I don't see a lot of lobbying. I don't see a lot of messaging. Uh, I don't see a, a strong commitment to shifting the resources from the treatment side of the system into early intervention and prevention. Uh, and I guess it partly speaks to an issue that I'm pleased to say the Minister of Health has taken on, and that's the fee-for-service system of practitioners. I support her in this. The fee-for-service system rewards doctors who see more people, not who see people better, more effectively. That has to change. And uh, I'm, I'm very supportive of the minister in, in moving towards that alternate, an alternate payment schedule for family physicians. Clearly, we've gotten uh, out of line to some extent with how much we're paying for various procedures as well. Uh, when Specialists, for example, in a highly technical area are earning a couple of millions of dollars in a year. One has to look at some redress to that and, and shifting some of those resources into where it's most needed. And surely it, we need more investment in children, in early intervention, in, in health promotion and prevention programs that will reduce the burden on the system, uh, not just reward people for being highly specialized, technical, and doing the procedures that uh, tend to cost so much. That won't be very politically uh, acceptable when it gets out of this room, but who cares? I'm 66 now. They can't touch me. How old did you say you were? I, I, I'm still 66. Oh, bless you. For a few more weeks. Uh, my name is Frank Toth. Dr. Uh, Swan, uh, thank you so very, very much to, to share your wisdom, and I emphasize the common sense that you've portrayed on us here. I come from way back pre-Premier Manning days, and uh, I, I turned out at an early age to be a, a union organizer in drum, from Drumheller area, where we lost one man or maimed one man per week. So radicalism had to be the number one fighter to, to gain uh, decent working conditions, wages, what have you. 
Was that the coal mine? Yes. Mm-hmm. My father was a hospital board member. And just a few uh, years ago, we had a, a high-ranking official of the conservative party. Uh, uh, I think his name was Mr. Addy. I happened to be living in a small town, asked him when we're going to get back to hospital board members again. He said, I'm so glad, sir, you asked that because we're going to get three new ones next year and three more the following year and so on. Well, you know, you know what's happened. Now, what is your idea of the thousand officialdoms that are paying a huge ransom of thousands of billions of dollars to getting back to decent locally elected hospital board members? Well, that's an excellent question, and I get asked that frequently by the Wild Rose, who favor uh, the 140 boards that we had around the province uh, in the 80s. I don't happen to favor that. I think uh, it's possible to have the benefits of a centralized board that deals with payroll, statistics, purchasing, um, and policies that are standard across the province, as well as the opportunity to have regional advisory boards that feed into that on what the local needs are and what the local conditions require. So whether or not uh, more hospital boards could create better uh, conditions for the health professionals and for the quality of care is, is an open question. What I am hearing increasingly from the frontline people is they cannot stand another major reorganization. We've had four major reorganizations in the system in the last eight years. Let's consistently work with this system that we have and try and make it work. That does mean we needed a health board to bridge between the minister's office and the health services executive. It does mean that we need at least five zones where there are senior representatives helping to address the, the regional or the zonal issues and, and allow them to provide resources and services to where they need it, in some cases more seniors, in some cases more First Nations. The, the, the conditions are different and they need to be addressed differently. But there needs to be more collaborative decision making across the system. I don't think creating another score or two of, of boards will do anything but add to the potential for conflict and the differences that will not necessarily be uh, more cost efficient or provide better quality of care. I, I'm committed to trying to make the current system work and once we have more stability at the top, more consistent leadership, clear policies and directions, I think it can work. So I'm with the minister on this. Yes. Hi, my name is Joanne, and I want to thank you for giving Albertas the opportunity to partake in the mental health questionnaire. It meant a lot to families who have been struggling in this for many years. Um, my question is on your comment on the psychiatrists who are not happy and that we need less psychiatrists. I believe in prevention, but unfortunately families need the psychiatrists to get the supports and the services, and unfortunately they hold the key and sometimes we feel the power. Um, do you find a shift in offering the ability for services to be available to families and individuals without the long waits for psychiatrists and or agreeing and being able to have the opportunity to communicate with the psychiatrists? Could you just ask that last question, the last part of your question again? Um, is there going to be opportunities for families to have access to supports and services 
without possibly communicating with psychiatrists because always that's not an opportunity because of confidentiality when we're caring for the adult loved one. Very good point. You've asked, touched on a number of issues there. One is, do, do we have enough psychiatrists? Do we need uh, access to services without the psychiatrist? Can families have more information about their loved one? Um, those are all critical questions, and I guess I would say that if we don't start training our family docs, our medical students, more thoroughly and give them more confidence in dealing with mental health issues, the psychiatrists will continue to have one to two year waiting lists. We will not have access to the supports and services we need until uh, we can get more at the primary care level. The family doctors, the nurse practitioners, the psychologists in the communities have to be given more authority and more capacity to deal with these issues so they don't all get shunted down the line to a psychiatrist who has, is burdened and uh, in some cases not, not able to give the time and energy and, and resources needed for very complex cases. So I'm not saying that we don't need more psychiatrists, but we will always need more psychiatrists if we don't start moving upstream and getting the system working better for all levels of, of psychiatric and, and addiction care. The, the issue of families having more information about their loved ones is a burning issue across the province. Many families are totally frustrated that the professionals feel they cannot communicate because the, the patient is an adult, the adult doesn't want information passed on to family members, but if the family members are the primary caregivers, the, the conflict is moot because we have to have family members that understand the program and understand the services and the, and the programs that are needed to be provided. And without that, it becomes chaos. Uh, so we've had a lot of, we, we recognize a lot of education is needed for the health providers that they're not violating their confidentiality by including those who are primary caregivers in the family, just as they would include the psychologist in the community or the, um, or the family doctor in the community once a person left hospital. Thank you. My name is Barbara Doyle, and um, thank you for coming today and uh, opening, giving us an opening for dialogue. And it's uh, long overdue, I think. Um, uh, how many of you in this room know the word, what, what does the word psyche mean? Put up your hands, hi. Okay, sing it out, what does it mean? Sorry? Oh, soul, yes, mind or soul, that's right. And um, in our society, uh, we just have a mind-soul dichotomy that is uh, due to uh, Descartes. It's a Cartesian duality is what we have. Yeah. He was more of the mind-body, wasn't he? Mind-body, mm -hmm. yes. I get, uh, you're getting to a question, Barbara, are you? Yes, I will get to the question. Um, uh, why is it that um, uh, healthcare people do not educate themselves mm -hmm. in um, First Nations um, health issues? And you can, you can get that at the university, and it'd be a good thing for all of us to do, uh, is to educate ourselves in uh, the uh, First Nations um, and uh, the Inuit and the... Um, Métis. Métis. Mm -hmm. um, about um, their, uh, all of their uh, health care, 
their cultural you, history, uh, everything. Yes. You want uh, David to respond to some kind of question? Yes. Do uh, you want to phrase it then? Uh, uh, it? And uh, I would also say it's free to you. For Most of us here are seniors, or many of us here are seniors. You can go yeah. and uh, get courses there for free in Native American studies. Mm -hmm. Let, let's, let's David answer okay. our question. I think it's a fair question. I, I don't think uh, many of us have actually had the uh, acculturation, if I could call it that, or the awareness uh, or the opportunity to meet with First Nations people, to celebrate with them, to share food with them, uh, to get to know them as persons and as families. I'm, I'm one of those. I, I was a practitioner in Pincher Creek. I was treating First Nations family, mostly in the hospital, mostly in the clinic never did get to know them as people, and as a result, I thought I knew what I was doing, but in retrospect, I did not. I did not have the uh, depth of understanding of their values and their cultural practices and the esteem with which they hold Mother Earth and their elders, those kinds of issues that uh, should be instructive to us as, as practitioners and, and as just as human beings, fellow human beings. So there's a tremendous gap there. That's why the Truth and Reconciliation Commission called for a serious commitment to reconciliation. Education in our schools is now mandatory, both provincially and uh, nationally. There's been a new commitment to greater connection, understanding, and, and uh, acceptance of the, the gap that's grown between us and how destructive that's become in terms of our ability to work together and solve problems. My good wife, Lorene. Hi, uh, Lorene Swan. I'm a, uh, besides being David's wife, I'm a retired family physician. Um, I'd just like to share a comment. I'm, uh, since I've been retired, I am um, president of a board of a counseling agency in Calgary. And um, we have, in the last year, undertaken a program called Just Breathe which is a, an eight to 10 week program that we provide through uh, the boys and girls clubs in Calgary so far, but we've also taken it to the in from the cold. And um, speaking of prevention, it's um, for children ages six to 12 uh, in terms of anger and feeling management. And uh, I firmly believe that every child should have something like this, not wait till they have identified anger issues in teenage years when, uh, as you know, most teenagers don't want to be told what to do or how to do it. Uh, the six to 12 year olds are much more uh, open to input, to learning these uh, things uh, about, you know, bullying, about their own feelings. Um, and um, it's just been uh, tremendously uh, accepted in the boys and girls clubs we've taken it to and at In From the Cold where they're continuing to bring it to these vulnerable children uh, and I think even uh, regular children. But I just want to say too, my vision is that I would like to get it, uh, as David's talking about, acculturated and, uh, with, with uh, Aboriginal people and perhaps look at taking it onto the reserves because I do think we as a society do not teach how to handle anger and feelings very well in uh, our children, even as adults, and in our churches, it's even seen as a, a sin to be anger angry. So, um, I j these are some things that you can think about doing. You know, uh, 
it's just I'm a volunteer and uh, it, it these are things in terms of prevention or looking at if you, if anybody is has an interest I would love to come down to Lethbridge and talk to whoever might be interested in doing something similar here but I'm just saying you don't Thank, you thanks, don't have Lorraine. to just sit around thanks Lorraine and people could talk to you afterwards if they'd like to talk to you thank you thanks Lorraine well, uh, this is our last question just before you go on there I'm learning to just breathe as well. <laughs> At the age of 66, uh, it's a critical part of stress management and uh, learning to get in touch with feelings and to breathe through them and to find a, a level of peace. The other big thing that's going on in the school system in, in Calgary is mindfulness training. Have any of you heard of mindfulness training in, in Lethbridge too? Yeah? It's become a much more acceptable and important role uh, in the school systems to recognize the time for for quiet, for inner peace, and to find your own sense of centeredness in the midst of all kinds of activities and demands and, and things. Sorry, go ahead. It's okay. <coughs> My name's Karen Tui. Um, yeah, I totally um, support or agree with the holistic prevention um, focus. Um, just as an aside, I'm a yoga instructor, and I totally agree with mindfulness and breathing. So I recommend that to anyone <laughs> who has trouble with anxiety or stress. Um, also, I wanted to know what were the top three uh, suggestions or recommendations, and do you feel that these were moving towards this holistic prevention, or what, what are your comments on those three well, thank you for raising that because we gave over 30 recommendations to improve the system and the minister picked on six and they weren't the top ones. They were ones that she felt that she could have some a, a bit of money for and could support. One of which was an information system so that doctors would have a common base for sharing information across the province. There are five or six different information systems across the province now. So some clinics can't can't communicate with some hospitals. Some hospitals can't communicate with some community organizations because they're sharing, they can't share through their incompatible information systems. That was one of them. Another one was increased detox beds in, uh, in uh, Lethbridge, Red Deer, and um, can't remember the other center. Uh, so those, those were recommendations, but the top three recommendations were number one, get your act together between Alberta Health and Alberta Health Services. Start communicating, start trusting each other, start l being clear about who's doing what here because you're sending very mixed messages through the ranks and causing all kinds of frustration and consternation throughout the workforce. Number two, start training family doctors to be comfortable with and more effective with mental health issues and addictions so that they don't immediately feel they have to prescribe a medication and refer to a psychiatrist which isn't working. And number three, uh, get more invested in early intervention and prevention services, especially through the school system, but also through some of the organizations like the Mental Health Association, Boys and Girls Clubs, areas where we're identifying high-risk families, public health nurses also who go into the homes of newborn babies and, and visit the moms for the first six weeks in their homes. They have, an they have a sense of when the family is in distress when there are risks, when there's not enough food in the house, when their husband and wife are in conflict or something, or a single mom where it's clear they're going to need extra supports. Build on those identified risk factors 
and get in to provide comprehensive services to those people. So uh, as I mentioned uh, in one message I was able to give in the House, this is going to require a tremendously courageous leadership from the Minister of Health to start shifting money, because we have no more money. She's going to have to start taking money from certain areas and shifting it over into early intervention, prevention, um, health promotion in schools. Uh, and that's going to cause some upset. Some doctors are not going to be happy. Some hospitals are not going to be happy. I don't know of any other way to do it. If you don't have any more money to throw at things, and we don't, we're going into $10.5 billion deficit just this year, and we know we have among the highest funded healthcare systems in Canada, again, with mediocre results, you have to start making these difficult choices. And that's why I say the minister's gonna have to be quite courageous to stand up to some of the pushback she's gonna get from some of the powerful interests. Groups like Mental Health Association have had their funding reduced. Uh, FCSS, you know, have family and community support services here. They're doing tremendous work in early intervention and prevention in risk families. They fortunately got a boost last year, and I applauded that. Uh, these are areas where the minister is going to have to take a comprehensive look and find out where we're getting more investment, uh, more results from the investment, I should say. So thank you. Please join with me to thank, thank David. Thank you.